We are in our second week of a series that, uh, kind of a mini-series, we're, many of you know we're preaching through the book of John, but we take time off every once in a while to do a different series, and this one was on my heart and really felt the Lord directing us in this direction. So uh, we are doing a series on the armor of God. We call it Stand, and it's on Ephesians chapter 6, so if you're quick, you can turn there now before I tell you to turn there, because I will in a moment. But let me just tell you a little story that I was, as I was preparing for this message, something happened this week that reminded me of uh, just the power of words. The other day, Heather and I were sitting in bed, and I was paying bills, and she was preparing for this meeting after church with life group leaders. Just one more push in there. And she says, Jerome, do you have a pen on your nightstand? And I didn't even look. I said, no. So she looks forward, and she's like, Jerome, there's a mug full of pens on your life stand, on your nightstand. My response was, I have pens on my nightstand, not a pen on my nightstand. I was totally correct. And I thought I was funny. She didn't think I was that funny. But she just laughed there. Thank you, babe. I love you. See, I was just thinking about the power of words, and many of us know words are powerful. Words shape or or perhaps distort our reality, how we see ourselves, how we see the world. And then they shape not just our deepest beliefs, but our beliefs and then our attitudes, our emotions and our actions. Words can make us act and think things. So words that are true versus words that are not true, that, that's where we're going with this message. Sitting aside a funny story about pens on a nightstand, I, I'll, I'll tell you a little story about words and me because this message When we're talking about the armor of God, these two pieces of armor that we're going to look at today are are deeply personal to me because there was a a change in my life. And maybe you've heard me tell this story before, but we were missionaries and we uh, came home and did some counseling and worked on some things in our life about a decade ago. And I remember sitting in an office of one of the counselors and see, I'm kind of fidgety and I can't sit still. And so she gives me one of these like, you know, fidget things. It's a little sandbag in, in, in a rubber container, you know, or like a, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And she's like, just go in and work that thing and talk to me. All of a sudden, my leg stops bouncing around. I'm less fidgety, and I'm focused, and I'm talking. It's called ADD, and we'll talk about that another time. And in the course of this, I just keep working this thing, and all of a sudden, it explodes. <laughs> and there are little pellets of plastic or silica or whatever it is all over me and all over this room. And she's like, oh, that's okay. Things happen. True, right? Things happen. It's okay. So we try to proceed with the conversation, and suddenly I break down and begin to sob because I just was believing the words that I I believed of myself. Like, words have settled into Jerome, so I believe. and And I said this. Here's my confession. I'm always that guy. I'm always that guy. It's always me. I'm going to be the one who breaks this thing. I'm going to be the one who puts my foot into my mouth. I'm going to be the one who steps on people's toes because I'm always that guy. A lifetime of messages that I've sent myself or maybe others have sent me or feedback, and I believe that's who I am. And what happens when you, when you have that kind of message is you kind of live down to the expectations you have of yourself. Am I the only one that's felt like I'm always that guy? Or I'll never be any different than who I am? See, today we're going to look at a couple pieces of armor, and I think they're critical. I, 
I just finished studying for this message, so I'm going to tell you the most important, but next week I'll probably tell you the next ones are most important. Man, these are deeply personal to me. And for you who would say, I, I, Jerome, I know what you're talking about. I've sat not in that chair exactly, but in that same spot, in that same place where it's affected my life, my relationships, my actions, my emotions, how I live my life, the words that, that I've let, that I've received and the words that I believe have shaped me and, and they've hindered me. They've, they've been an obstacle. We talked last week when it comes to, if you're a Christian, man, we're talking about the armor of God. There, there is a spiritual battle, but guess what? Jesus has won the war. But the enemy isn't going to go down without a fight. He still wants to steal our joy and our peace. He wants to, he wants to go after your family. He wants to go after your witness. He wants to go after your, your reputation. And, and if you're not careful, one of the, I think perhaps one of the primary weapons, one of the most effective weapons, are the words that we receive and that we believe. The enemy attacks our identity by distorting how we view God, how we view the world, and how we view ourselves. If you have your Bibles now, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start reading here in a moment, but as you do, if you weren't here last week, just a little background. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. They are um, really close to him, deeply personal. We read in the book of Acts 18, 19, and 20 that he was there at the end of his second missionary journey. He was there for a long time at the beginning of his third. At the end of his third journey, he comes back and says goodbye, not in Ephesus, but he says goodbye to the Ephesians the leaders of that church, because he knew he wouldn't see them again. And he's writing not to correct something, but to say, here's how you live in light of Christ's work on the cross. And with that purpose and understanding, you're going to see, oh, I get why the armor of God is living in light of the cross. Paul was likely in Rome in 62 AD when he wrote this, likely oftentimes chained to a Roman soldier. So he takes the, the Roman soldier's gear and he begins to draw comparisons to what God has given us so we can stand. And that was last week's message. Man, if we're strong in the Lord and we put on his armor, all we need to do is stand. If, if, if putting, putting on his armor is all we need to do for victory, simply stand. So we're going to talk about standing today. And let me remind you where we were. We're going to read it again in a moment. But let me remind you last week the verses that lead up to what we're going to read. Verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the person and the resources of the Lord. Verse 11, put on the armor and stand. That's that imperative. What are we standing for or against? We're standing against the, the strategies of the devil. Verse 12, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Verse 13, Paul repeats that call. Therefore, since we're not fighting against flesh and blood, put on God's armor, not physical armor, this figurative armor. And then verse 14, where we're going to be today and forward, he begins to describe that armor. Read with me, chapter 6 of Ephesians, starting in verse 10. A final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Your Bible maybe says breastplate. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, 
Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. That's the entire passage, but today we're going to zero in on those first two pieces of God's armor. The armor here, of course, is figurative, but it's, it's a figurative armor for something that's very real. This battle, this the standing our ground. Remember when I talked about standing our ground? God has, through Jesus Christ, we have taken ground for the kingdom in our life. And he wants us to stand. The enemy wants to, wants to take back some of that ground. My story earlier, I lived life a long way, not, not, not fully occupying the ground that Christ and the cross was mine to, to dwell in, to stand in. But I let the devil push me back. So this armor is figurative that there's a real thing that's going on. Can I, really quickly, I want to say this because I think I didn't say this last week and I probably should have. The armor is, is something that we all as Christians have at all times. I know he says put it on as if we don't have it. But really what he's saying is like, like activate it, utilize it. We have the armor because the armor is what Christ has already done. So if you're a Christian, you have it already. It's just a matter of utilizing it and putting it in, into to action. Paul says some very similar things to this, this, this language of, listen to this. Utilizing the armor that God is giving us is very similar language to just the fact that, that we are in Christ and he's in us. That's what we've seen in the book of John. That's what we've seen in the upper room discourse. But listen to Colossians 3.3. 3. For you have died to this life and your real life is hidden in Christ. Romans 6.11. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power and al- to the dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's putting on God's armor, because it's the, the armor is related to what Christ has done on, for us through the cross. So you're wearing it all the time, but you're activating it in certain moments. Let's talk about the armor. The first piece is the belt of truth. I read a New Living Translation that says, put on the belt of truth. Some of you have something more formal, fasten the belt of truth. Or maybe something even more formal, equivalent. Having girded your loins with truth. Anyone have that Bible? What does girded mean? Think girdle. Like, the Bible says that Jesus girded himself with a towel when he, wiped, when he washed the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. So it's, it's this wrap around girdle thing i've never worn one i don't know i just see it in the movies like those old style dresses this metaphor of girding actually is something that you see throughout scripture because it, it it speaks to preparatory action that needs to take place before anyone works or runs or fights there is something that has to be done because they have these long flowy garments and you have to bind that all up Otherwise, you won't be able to move with the way you're, in the way you're supposed to move. You won't be able to fight the way you're supposed to fight the rest of the armor. So really, this is not technically the belt of truth is that big leather. You've seen it in Roman soldiers. That big, like, leather thing around the whole abdomen. Over your belly. Thank you. But if I have to be honest with you, it's, it's not so much armor as it is underwear. God's spiritual underwear. No, I know. I don't know how that works across. But that's what it is. 
It's, it's, it's preparing for the rest of the armor. All the other armor is on the foundation of this belt. For Romans, it was a big leather thing gathered around their tunic that had held their sword and allowed them to move freely. But for Christians, for Christians, what does it mean that it's the belt of truth? What is this preparation, this, this foundational garment for us? Well, the word truth is athelia, and, and Paul uses it just a few chapters earlier. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupt by lust and deception. Now, this is the passage where Paul, Paul says, hey, Take off the old nature and put on the new. You used to live this way, but now you live this way because of Christ. That there is a new reality, there's a new, there's a new way of seeing the world in yourself and God because of what Christ has done. That's the foundation of truth that we all have as Christians. That's the, the, the belt of truth. That there's a right understanding because of God's revelation of himself through Christ and through Scripture. You see, before Christ, the way that we understood the world and ourselves and our relationships was just living life and kind of like accidentally, you know, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. <laughs> but after Christ, it's no longer that way. After Christ, there is a different facts of life. How we see God, how we see this world, how we see others and ourselves changes. See, Putting on the belt of truth is standing your ground against the lies of the enemy when you look like through the lenses of this world. The enemy would like to distort our view of God. He would like to distort our view of meaning and purpose and satisfaction in this world. And, and the things that we chase after are based on the promises and the values of this world. But things have changed when you come to Christ. And yet we find ourselves still living at times, with that distorted view of God and the world and meaning and purpose and satisfaction. When Paul says righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, when he uses the word righteousness throughout his epistles, he oftentimes, most, more than likely, he means justification. So it's not just like your righteous behavior, because our righteous behavior is pretty pathetic. It's, it's Christ's righteous behavior that's imputed. It's the word that we get credit for Christ's righteousness. We did not earn this. We could not earn it, but we have a righteousness. See, for Romans, you know, the belt of truth is first, and then you have the breastplate of righteousness. This is that big heavy metal, not heavy metal. It's that big metal torso-shaped piece of armor over your torso that, 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 that helps defend against whether it's long shot arrows or, or close uh, sword strikes, it helps protect the core of your body, it protects your upper body and this whole area. But for Christians, he's speaking about that same protection, the breastplate of righteousness is that imputed righteousness. See, we're not able to stand before God without what Christ has done on the cross. But because Christ went to the cross in our place, on our behalf, we can stand before God accepted and not condemned. 
The breastplate of righteousness is essential defense against the accusing conscience and the slanderous attacks of the enemy. This is the one that's deeply personal to me. I mean, the first one's foundational. Everything's going to be kind of tied into truth. But but boy, slanderous attacks or even my own accusing conscience. Do you know the word Satan is a Hebrew word that means adversary? And the word devil is the Greek word that means slanderer. So let's read verse 11 again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the slanderer. The Christian's assurance of righteousness protects us against satanic lies and accusations. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, is this kind of like isolated to like the devil just shows up and he's, man, when I'm doing this and this thing explodes in my hand and I'm believing that I'm that guy, I'm believing something that's not true of myself. I'm believing that something that God never said is true of me. And while I'm not going to say the devil put it in my head, I'm going to say that that whole idea of believing something contrary to what God says is true of me is demonic. And I get to help the devil out because he doesn't even have to do anything about it. I'm already just believing that truth. But that's not a truth. The breastplate of righteousness helps us to stand our ground against the lies of Satan regarding your identity the enemy would want to distort your view of yourself. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not measuring up. It's an effective strategy, and it's, it's probably the most effective way, as I said in the beginning, for, God, for our relationship with God to be wrecked when we don't see ourselves in light of who God says we are. It affects how we relate to God. Am I right? What's funny about this is The enemy's been doing this from the beginning. I mean, he himself did not accept his God-given identity, but sought to to form his own identity apart from God. And so he tempts us to do the same. He doesn't want us to live out our God-given identity. He didn't want Adam and Eve in the very beginning to live out their God-given identity. Think about this. He, He was distorting Adam and Eve's view of God and their selves. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. Listen to what he says what the enemy says in terms of his words that he was the messages he was sending that he wanted them to believe about God himself the objection is I can't eat from this fruit because I'm going to die right this is the enemy's response you won't die the serpent replied to the woman God knows that your eyes will be open and you will soon eat and you will be like God knowing both good and evil see he's distorting the view of God God's keeping secrets from you he's holding you back and distorting the view of themselves you can, you, can, you can make your own identity apart from God by taking this fruit. How many of us have lived lives trying to create our own identity by what we do and accomplish? Creating our own identity. What's funny about this passage is if you read back in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, what does God say? Let us make human beings in our own image. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and field, he, he created them. They already had an identity made in the image of God, and yet they were trying to find their own identity because the lie and the message that was sent and that they believed. So this is an old strategy. And you know what's funny? He, he still does it today, but before, he, before we get to us, he did it to Jesus. Jesus is, 
Well, you read about it in Luke chapter 4. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. And what's the temptation? If you really are the son of God, then prove it. What's it? Well, you remember what happened before he went into the wilderness? Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. He goes down in the water. He comes up like the heavens open. Holy Spirit descends as a dove. And there's a voice. This is my son who, I'm, who, who, who I love, who I'm, I'm well pleased with. Who brings me great joy in the New Living Translation. Jesus is the son of God. Great, powerful, mighty moment. And then moments later, he's brought into the wilderness. The Spirit sent him in the wilderness. And the enemy says, if you really are the son of God. Questioning what he knows is already true. Jesus, of course, doesn't fall. Unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus, of course, doesn't fall for the enemy's tricks there. And if you think about Jesus, he lives out of this identity. I'm well-pleasing to the Father. Jesus lives from his identity and not for his identity like we oftentimes do. Before Jesus preached a sermon, performed a miracle, or cast out any demons... The Father was well pleased with him. And the same is true of you. If you are a Christian, your identity is secure. You are a child of God. And the Father's love for you is secure. And sometimes we say amen to those things. I'm not judging you here. We say amen to those things because theologically we agree. But in our heart of hearts, we live not so sure that we agree that it's true. Of me. See, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness help us to stand against the devil's lies about God and self. God's armor equips you to live from your identity, who God says is you are, what is true of you, rather than living for your identity. I was a missionary, I was a minister, I told people about Jesus and his love and the gospel and the hope that we have, and here I am weeping because I was living life, believing the lies, that this is who I am. Because my performance and other people's opinions about me drove my identity. I was living to create an identity apart from who God said I am. But if we can live from our identity, the world is so much lighter. There's so much more joy and gladness and freedom. As Christians, we live from our identity, not for our, ident our identity. We are defined by who Christ says we are, not what we do or fail to do. Christ defines who we are by who he is and what he has done for us, in us, and through us. The armor of God equips you to live for your identity, from, from your identity and not for your identity. So what does that mean? What do we do about that? Let me give you a couple things. First of all, surround yourself with truth. That's the, you know, put on the belt of truth. That's the foundation of God revealed himself. We see the world differently than we used to see the world there's different facts of life, and there's a number of ways you can do that. This is why we get up in the morning and we pray and we read the Bible. Not because we're earning brownie points with God. Not because we think we're going to make him like us more. Because he can't like you more than he already does because of what Christ has done. 
And if you think you can make him like you more than he already does now, then you don't understand what Christ has done. We get up so that we can fill our heart and our mind with truth. Biblical meditation, scripture memory. There's, there's an app called Dwell that you can put on your phone that the church pays for. You text this number, you get a link. You can sign up and you can listen to scripture and your life can dwell in the word as you ride in your car or as you do your laundry. These are tools, not the only way, but they're tools to dwell, to, to surround yourself with scripture. There's something called the, uh, oh man, I was telling you, I was working on this message and I thought about scripture memory. Not my strong suit. Remember, I told you about the ADD thing. Um, the navigators have this incredible resource that's blessed hundreds and thousands, maybe millions of Christians. It's the topical memory system. There's little, there's this book kind of explains it, but this little thing, there are little cards you, you cut out and you carry with you and well, you, you don't have to cut it. You just pull it out. There's little lines. But I was, I was thinking, man, scripture memory is something that I've, I've laid aside and I need to get back to that. It's really hiding God's word in your heart. There's also an app for that if you're interested. Surround yourself with truth, participating in Christian community. Because in community, we form relationships that bring accountability and encouragement that are based in truth. They're reminders of truth. And then submitting yourself to sound teaching. There, there's another resource we want to give to you guys, and we've already mentioned it, but I'm going to mention it again. It's, it's the Right Now Media uh, app. You can put it on your phone. You can put it on your television if you have a smart TV. Who doesn't have a smart TV anymore? Don't raise your hand. Thousands upon thousands of hours of world-class Bible teaching. Like what kind of pastor says, hey, here are the best preachers in the world. Go listen to them. This one. I hope you all come back and hear me though. What you consume, man, what you behold is who you become. Fill yourself with truth. Because the only way that, like, people who check for counterfeit money know the difference is because they know what true money looks like. Surround yourself with truth. Second thing I would say is pay attention to the you messages. Satan lies about our identity, and they often come in the message, in, in the you messages. Adam and Eve, you won't die. You will be like God. Jesus, if you are the son of God, he wants to undermine the truth of who you are, and he uses you messages very often to do it. You are worthless. You are a failure. You get what you deserve. You will never change. You are hopeless. You are disgusting. Shall I go on? Yes, I shall. You are not a real Christian. You are a disappointment to God. If people knew the real you, they would reject you. And I can go on. But I bet, not that I'm a betting person, I imagine as I read that list, some of you were going on yourself because you know those you messages. Here's why I say it's demonic. The father doesn't speak to his children that way. The scary thing about you messages is oftentimes they come disguised as I messages. I'm worthless and I'm the failure. I will never change. And I'm always that guy. 
If you're paying attention for you messages, then you can activate the breastplate of righteousness. This is where you remind yourselves, you don't stand on your own merit, but on Christ's. You never stood on your own merit. You, did, you never did anything worthwhile that you could offer God. You could try to be good enough to please God, and you came on his merits. You came on the ground of his imputed righteousness, the righteousness that he gives you when you come to him. You begin your Christian life that way. And that's, let me, let me be clear, this is a whole other sermon on Galatians. You began your Christian life that way. It's no different now. You still stand before God on the basis of what Christ has done. See, when we consider the righteousness that we have, the, the justification that we have, we know that we're in right standing with God, that we are fully pleasing to the Father. So whatever messages you're getting from yourself or from others, whatever your performance or other people's opinions, doesn't matter because you are fully pleasing to the Father. If you're not a Christian, normally in my message, I want to I take some time to explain the gospel, but I kind of feel like it's woven through this whole message. We are undeserving, separated from God and Jesus Christ. The Logos, the one who was there at creation, takes on flesh, walks amongst his creation, lives a life that we could poss not possibly live, and dies a death that we deserve in our place on our behalf. And we are made right, in right standing, in right relationship. Not just that, we are made new. That's the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel is this, that the good news of Jesus is all you have to do is believe receive this gift cross that line of faith I want to close from a passage in Colossians Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 through 15 this was a early morning addition to my message because I was in my devotions today and I thought ooh that works this is the gospel message. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Listen to this. Remember Ephesians chapter 6? We don't fight against flesh and blood. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities with the cross. And he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The armor of God is utilizing the things that we have received because of Christ's death on the cross. And that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to receive communion together. If you walked in today, you, you passed a table with the communion elements. At this time, we have some staff members walking around. If you did not get some elements, they can bring it to you. Um, for those of you who call Radiant Home and you've been here a while, we just upgraded our elements. I don't know if you noticed that. There's no little silly piece of foil or little 
little thin, there's no extra layer. This should be a lot easier. I'd encourage you to uh, start upside down to grab the bread as you guys distribute this. I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is Paul writing the church in Corinth, and I don't need to preach a second message here, but this is, the context of this really is a corrective for them. But in the course of that corrective, the, the failure of love, the failure of living out who they are in Christ, the failure of living in light of the cross. He says this, For I passed on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you eat the bread with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. What a privilege we have to gather together, to hear your word, and now to receive this element, which represents your broken the broken flesh of your son, Jesus Christ. This is not a, a token element. I, I'm convinced something spiritual takes place. As we take this, Lord, may, may you do a work deep in our heart that we would indeed draw close to you putting on the armor of God. Would you eat with me? upside now if you haven't already. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 11. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me again? Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. We sing songs about how it washes away our sin. This message today was a reminder of our identity, not because of what we have done, but because what you have done and because of who you say we are, righteous, right standing and right relationship, new creation. God, today as we drink this, we remember that sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you drink this with me?